Thank you, Pastor West. And uh, if you don't know me, again, my name is Cal, and I have the privilege of serving on the staff team here. And uh, what a delight to be able to be together as we close 2023 and move into 2024. I also want to say thank you uh, to Marcy uh, for sharing her testimony, especially being vulnerable with us as a church family. Uh, and as I listened to her testimony, it reminded me that there's just, there's, there's just nowhere or nothing in our lives that God can't reach into. And hers is a story of real uh, grace, uh, God's grace in her life, and how God was able to pull her out of some of the situations she was in. And uh, now she's able to celebrate and, and rejoice. So what a wonderful way to end 2023. Um, our, over the uh, Christmas and Advent season, we have been in a series that we've titled Advent, A Season of Healing. Now, I know technically Advent is over, Christmas is now past, but we're going to finish our year with one more message on that theme. So I'm not going to ask you if you make New Year's resolutions, but I will ask if any of you have any New Year traditions. In my teenage years, our youth group often did an all-nighter on New Year's Eve, finishing up with a large group breakfast on New Year's Day. And that's something that I carried uh, when I was a youth pastor for many years in Ottawa, we would do an all-nighter at the church. We'd have video games set up, other activities, maybe a few things we shouldn't have been doing, but overall we had a good time together. And then we would finish with breakfast uh, the next morning. As the years got on, though, and as I got older, I remember uh, sneaking in an air mattress so that I could hide in my office or some other room of the church and at least get a little bit of a nap in while the kids were doing their thing. Uh, and, then, uh, and then, of course, in, when I finished being a youth pastor, we stopped doing that. Um, then... When I wasn't at the church on New Year's Day, we made it, excuse me, a bit of a tradition in our family to stay up and to watch the New Year's countdown uh, from New York City, uh, from Times Square, watching the, the crystal ball drop. And it, whether it was Ryan Seacrest or whoever it was, Dick Clark way back in the day, who would welcome the New Year in uh, on, on TV. And that's what we would do. Well, Chinese and other Asian cultures have very specific traditions for the New Year. Now, Chinese New Year is not December 31st, it's not today. Rather, it follows a lunar calendar and is usually celebrated between mid to late January and mid to late February. It's also known as the Spring Festival, the biggest holiday in the Chinese calendar. This year, Chinese New Year will fall on February 9th. One of the traditions of Chinese New Year is that on New Year's Eve, so similar the parallel of the day today, one has to clean their entire house, top to bottom sweeping, vacuuming, dusting, and so on and so forth, getting rid of all the unwanted and unused items in anticipation of replacing it with good things and new things. Then, on New Year's Day, you're not to clean anything, not even dirty dishes, because you don't want to sweep away anything quote-unquote good that may have arrived at midnight. There's also traditions regarding what you can and what you can't eat, and most of them, again, symbolize the idea of good and hope for the new year. Many of our New Year's traditions and practices symbolize this same idea, getting rid of the bad and the old and anticipating the good and the new. Whether they're New Year's resolutions or commitments or recommitments, promises to yourself or promises to others, we enter the new year full of one simple thing, that is hope. Hope 
that whatever was not as good in the past year will be better in the new year and hope that whatever was good in the past year will continue into the new year. In fact, anytime we start something new, it is filled with hope and anticipation. At the beginning of every hockey season, they say that for any sports team to draw the fans, to get them to pay, to come to the games and buy the merchandise, you have to sell two things. One of two things. Either you have to sell winning or you have to sell hope. I've been an Ottawa Senators fan ever since they became into the league and they're struggling once again. So not much winning, not a lot of hope. Don't laugh quite so loud, please. Experts would say that today we actually live with a crisis of hopelessness. Now, while the pandemic certainly played a significant role in, in the feelings that we have today, there are also many other significant factors, including the challenges of mental health and anxiety and depression, financial instability, the rising cost of living, interest rates, housing costs. There have been conflict and war, especially the wars between Russia and Ukraine, and now currently uh, are now as well between Israel and Hamas. Statistics show that hopefulness in Canada has dropped from 75% in 2016 to just over 60% in 2022. The percentage of younger people, by younger they define that as being between the ages of 15 and 34, have experienced a 15% drop in those who had a positive view of the future from six years ago till today. And this malaise about the future isn't restricted to Canada, not even restricted to North America. Overall, statistics are showing that there is a worldwide decline when it comes to hope. This morning, we're going to conclude our series and our year by looking at how the Christmas story heals our hope. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll be reading from verses 22 to 35. I'll read from the New International Version. If you open your Bibles, if you have them, or open them on your devices, you can follow along that way. If not, the, the words will be on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, took Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the, parents, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, that Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed 
and a sword uh, will pierce your own soul too. Our focus this morning is going to be on this somewhat obscure character by the name of Simeon. Not, not much is known about him. In fact, this is the only time that this particular Simeon is mentioned. We know very little about him before he is mentioned here in Luke chapter 2. And we know nothing about him after this episode. Yet he plays this profound role in the Christmas story. All of Israel, for generations, have been waiting for a Messiah, a Savior who would free them from the oppression and captivity of enemy nations. You remember that after Moses led them out of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians, the people had experienced generations of freedom in their own land, the Promised Land. But due to their disobedience, God used neighboring nations, enemy nations, to discipline them. And now, after this period of freedom, the Israelites had experienced hundreds of years of foreign rule and exile by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then now in Jesus' day by the Romans. The people would have been familiar with the words of God given through the prophets, promising them a Messiah, promising them eventual freedom. Passages that we read today regularly over the Christmas season, such as Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, which says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. These and other passages would have given the people hope that one day they would be freed from the oppression and the slavery of others. There have also been words of promise, like those we find in Jeremiah. And incidentally, before I read them, we have to recognize that these words in Jeremiah, which often we see on, on plaques and in, in homes or, or on cards, they were actually given by God in a very specific context. God had given these words through Jeremiah specifically to the nation of Israel while they were in exile. They were in for, under foreign rule in Babylon. And, and it, they were also given to refute and to rebuke the false prophet Hananiah. Hananiah said that the people, would, you'll be free in two years. But Jeremiah knew that that was false. That wasn't going to happen. And so God says this through Jeremiah to the people. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The promise that God had not forgotten them had not forsaken them. These and many others found in the prophets were, were words of promise. They were words of hope. I could see generations of moms and dads sitting around their homes, perhaps reading these words of Scripture, even though they were under oppression and under slavery, under foreign rule, sharing with their children their hope that one day they would be delivered from their enemies. They would be free again, only to see one generation after another die and pass on. And these words of hope and promise seemingly unfulfilled. Proverbs 12, verse 13 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, for centuries, centuries, generations, Israel's hope was deferred and unfulfilled. 
The prophet Malachi comes again with words from God, full of promise and full of hope. But then there was nothing. In fact, 400 years, nothing. No words, no prophecy, no promises, no hope. As I mentioned, we are in the midst of a time where hope is declining, and for many it's declining rapidly. It might be because of the things happening in our world and in our society. It might be because of your own personal circumstances, or it might be because of some inner turmoil. But we are all prone, and perhaps uh, we are all prone to hopelessness. And I would bet in a room like this, and those who are watching online, there are varying degrees of hope, or the inverse, varying degrees of hopelessness to be found. Some of you may be hope-filled as you enter 2024. But some of you, and I suspect many of you, would be much lower on the hope index, wondering and actually worrying about what 2024 might bring. And hopelessness is not just personal. It has effects on our society as well. Crime and poverty and addictions and other abuses often have roots in hopelessness. Someone once said that feeling hopeless and full of despair is just a slower way of being dead. An American novelist William Styron said, it is hopelessness more than pain that crushes the soul. So what do we do? What do we do? What have we done to combat this hopelessness and create a sense of hope that we all crave, that we actually all need? Now, we don't have time this morning to discuss this in detail, all the different ways that we've tried to create hope in a hopeless world, but let me summarize the various ways with just one word. Self. Self. Just like the Israelite people who turn to their kings and to their rulers, just like the Israelite people who turn to obedience and reliance on the letter of law, just like the Israelite people who turn even to the neighboring gods and rulers around them, we in the midst of our hopelessness turn to self to try to bring some sense and some kind of hope. We rely on our education and our knowledge. We lean on our finances. We look to our own skills and abilities. We try to know the right people, have the right connections and the right contacts. Or we turn to our government leaders and political leaders or other agencies. We look to self and others for the hope that we so desperately need. But at best, our hope, our man-made, self-created hope are like Hananiah's prophecies, which only bring false hope. I'll enter Simeon, a man who not only had true hope, but he also saw his hope realized. Now, let's just stop for a moment and, and, and let's understand what true hope is. Hope is not uh, a wishful thinking. It's not just wanting something and hoping that it will come true. It's not, it's not saying, uh, I hope I win a new car. What you're saying is that you wish you might win a new car. Biblically, hope is defined as a strong and confident expectation with an indication of certainty. 
Hope is a strong and confident expectation with the indication of certainty. Hope is actually closely linked to trust and faith, and it actually has elements of both. And this was the hope of Simeon. And this is the hope we need today. We need a healing of hope. In a world that is quickly losing hope, we desperately need a healing of hope. And from Simeon's story, I want us to notice three keys, three ways in which our hope can be healed. First, from the story of Simeon, we see that hope is healed when we know the source of hope. When we know the source of hope. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem named called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now we need to understand that being righteous and devout does not come from a ritualistic adherence to a set of religious laws or practices. Rather, it comes from a deep reverence, a devotion, a passion, and a love for God. Often our focus is on our outward obedience, which, while it's important and not to be ignored, it's often at the expense of our relationship with God. Hosea 6, verse 6, reminds us, and I'll read it from the message. It's, it's quite contemporary, actually. Hosea 6, verse 6, from the message says this, a God speaking to the people, says, I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God or to know me, not go, mo- not go to more prayer meetings. So let me follow up with a simple question. How well do you know God? How well do you know God? Notice I didn't ask how well or how much do you know about God? How well do you know God? Yes, there's the component of information, but how well do you know God? How well do you know his character and his ways? How often have you experienced Experience the presence of God in your life as he has broken through your circumstances. As mentioned, I'm an Ottawa Senators fan ever since they returned to the league in 1992. And I can tell you lots of facts and statistics about many of their players. I can tell you where many of them were born, what junior team they played for, what year they were drafted, what number position they were drafted in. I can tell you their point totals where they were traded, where they came from, and so on and so on and so on. I know about them, but I don't know them. I've never met any of them. I've never spent any time with them. I know a lot about them, but I don't know them. I can't tell you their likes and dislikes if they go to a restaurant. I don't know if they're introverted or extroverted. I don't know what their love languages are, how they respond to joys or stresses, what they like to do on a day off or in the off season. I know about them, but I don't know them. God is always true to his character, his promises, and his purposes. And as we get to know God, we begin to see his character and his promises and his purposes. And we begin to see his presence and work in our lives. The more that we know God. A closely link to knowing God is our need to know his word. Simeon knew the scriptures. He knew what the word of God said about the son of God. Simeon knew Jesus was the promised Messiah. 
Did you ever notice in the story that Jesus comes in with Mary and Joseph as a baby? How in the world did Simeon know that this was the Messiah? Jesus had not taught anything yet. He had not performed any miracles. He had not interacted with anybody. Simeon recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah because he knew the word of God. He knew what to look out for. He knew the signs. He knew the circumstances. And so again, my question for us this morning is this. How well do you know the word of God? Beyond memorizing it, reading it and memorizing, how well do you know the word of God? Have you meditated on it? Have you prayed over it? Have you obeyed it and applied it to your life? You see, our hope is healed when we know the source of hope. That's God and his word. Second, hope is healed when we listen, when we listen to the voice of hope. Verse 26 again says this, it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now we're not told exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon, but evidently he did. And the clarity and conviction by which he spoke gave Simeon the hope and assurance and the certainty that he would see this promised Messiah. It is one thing that Simeon waited with great hope for what Luke describes as the consolation of Israel. The, the consolation of Israel just simply refers to this idea that um, uh, to console means to alleviate the grief or to take away that sense of loss or trouble. And that people waited based on the promises of God that one day that consolation would come. Simeon was not unique in that regard. There are many before him that waited and many during his time that would have waited with great hope, with great anticipation. But Simeon's hope in a Savior was leveled up. I know this was the only record. It was, it was increased. It was leveled up uh, because of this promise and the, this voice of God that told him that he would not die before seeing this promised Messiah. You know, one of the ways we've been encouraging you, each of us, as individuals and, and us together as a church family to grow in is our understanding and practice and our ability to simply hear God's voice. We believe a key in growing in our faith, growing in our relationship and our love and our obedience to God is learning to hear his voice and to obey his promptings. And over the last few years, we've offered a Hearing God series of teachings and practices in the fall that no matter where you are in this, you can, we can all learn to, to learn more and to grow more in our ability to hear his voice. We need to learn to put aside the distractions, the noise and the busyness of our lives. We need to in, intentionally create times of quiet and solitude to meditate deeply in God's word and to attune our ears and our hearts and our minds to him. There's much more we can say about this, but let me close our point with this. You see, I understand that for many, and there was a season for me as well too, where hearing God has not been in your realm of experience. In fact, one of the biggest concerns that we hear over and over again is I, I've never heard the voice of God. Uh, certainly, God doesn't always speak in an audible voice, and I would say there's probably a, only a small percentage of people who would attest that they've heard God speak in an audible way, but there's other ways that God speaks through his word, through, through inner prompting, through circumstance, through others around us. 
And if hearing God has never been in your realm of experience, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing faulty about your faith. But I think we can all learn to grow in this. And we can all learn to experience more what it means to hear the voice of God. And the key to hearing God, let's go back to point one, is simply knowing God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Instead of listening to our own voice, the voice of others, the voice of society, or even the voice of the enemy, we need to tune into the voice of God and we need to listen and learn how to discern what he says and then walk in obedience to what he reveals to us. See, hope is healed when we listen to the voice of God, to the voice of hope, excuse me. Thirdly and finally, Hope is healed when we obey the commands of hope. Verse 27 again reads this way. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. Again, we're not told how, but somehow the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple courts, and he obeyed. And it was there that he met the Messiah, the one he had waited for with great hope for his entire life. We don't know much about Simeon. We don't know how he lived his life. We don't know how his hope affected his actions. Did he go to the temple court every day? Probably not. Did he wait around at home? Unlikely. Did he go about his routine each and every day? I, you know, I, I doubt it. We don't know. All we know is that Simon knew the scriptures, he knew what to look for, and he waited with expectancy, with great expectancy. Then the Holy Spirit tells him, you're not going to die before seeing the Messiah. And Simeon's hope and expectancy rises. Then one day, and I suspect it was a day, nothing unique about that day, nothing special. It was a day just like any other. The Holy Spirit prompts Simeon to go to the temple courts and wait there. Simeon, you need to go to the temple courts. I wonder if Simeon didn't ask, why? I'm not telling you why, I'm just saying, go. So Simon, or Simeon, excuse me, what does he do? He obeys. And it is as he seeks and he discerns and as he waits and he obeys, that his hope is realized when Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the, temple, to, uh, to the temple to present him to the Lord as was the custom of the day. Often in order for our hope to be realized, it requires steps of obedience when the outcomes are uncertain and unknown. That we might call steps like that blind. Do this. Tell me why. Tell me what's going to happen if I do that. Nope. Just go. Just do it. We call that blind obedience. But Simeon's obedience to the Holy Spirit was absolutely not blind. It was quite the opposite. See, even though he didn't know why, even though he didn't know what the outcome might be, because he was prompted by the Holy Spirit, Simeon walked forward in obedience with his eyes wide open. Are we willing to see hope realized?
by stepping forward in obedience just as Simeon was. I don't know about you, but I like certainty. I like to know the outcomes of my decisions. It has been said of me that I have what's called the paralysis of analysis, which means before I do anything, I need to analyze and figure out all the potential outcomes and then decide whether or not that's a step I want to take. And it, and it freezes me. It literally freezes me. And we all like to know the outcomes and effects of our decisions before we make them, don't we? We like to know if I choose this school, what will happen? We like to know if I take this route, what will happen? We like to know all of these things. But true hope requires us to step out in faith and trust again the source of true hope, God himself, and walk in obedience to his commands even when the outcome is unknown, even when the outcome is uncertain, and yeah, even when the outcome is undesired. Is your hope is healed when we obey the commands of hope. Our personal lives are desperate for true hope. Our society longs for true hope. And our world is craving true hope. Christmas is a season of hope, not the season of wishful thinking, but of hope, real hope. One of the Advent candles, if you're familiar with the Advent wreath that we've had up here the last year, recognize that there are are four candles and then a center uh, white candle. And there's three purple candles and a pink candle on the outside. And many of you will recognize that those candles represent love, joy, peace, and wishful thinking. It absolutely does not. Love, joy, peace, and hope. And I love the way Pastor Santosh put it at our Christmas Eve service when he said that the Christ candle, which we also lit on Christmas Eve, represents all of those things found in one. You see, where we might put our hope in our material riches, our human wisdom, our human-created systems and structures, we have seen that those are all sorely lacking and they all fail. But the Christmas story heals our hope. When we know the source of hope, God, when we know his word, when we listen to the voice of hope, and when we obey the commands of hope. I've already alluded to it, but the key truth in all of this is simply this. That true hope is not a feeling. True hope is not a philosophy. True hope is not a state of mind. Hope, true hope, is found in a person. And that person is God incarnate. God come to earth as man, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus didn't simply come to bring hope. Jesus is hope. And this morning, Jesus invites you to put your faith and your trust in him and experience the hope that you need and then extend the hope to others, that the, that, 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 uh, that hope to the world, a hope that the world desperately needs. I'll invite the worship team to come back up to the front to lead us in a closing song. I don't know where you are this morning on your hope meter. Perhaps you've had a difficult 2023 and you're hoping for a better 2024. And maybe 2023 was great. 
but you're not sure how 2024 is looking. One statistic I keep reading is that I think 60% of um, Canadian mortgages are coming due in 2024. And with the interest rate triple, quadruple, what they used to be, they're creating a lot of anxiety and worry in people. And maybe this morning, some of you have recognized that your hope has really been founded on yourself and not in the person of Jesus Christ. We'll know that as we close 2023 and as we enter 2024, you can discover hope, true hope in Jesus Christ. That you can experience hope despite your circumstances by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And no matter what 2024 brings, you can have a healing of hope and extend that hope to others. As the worship team leads us in a closing song, let me remind you that if God has been speaking to you this morning about anything, doesn't have to be about hope necessarily, about anything or prompted you, um, you can come to the front and share that with somebody. There'll be staff uh, at the front who will be happy to pray with you. If you've come with any other kind of burden and you would like just prayer, uh, we would be happy to pray with you and to pray for you. So as we sing this last song, let's be reminded that the Christmas story heals our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son, that it wasn't only about a babe in a manger, in a stable, in Bethlehem, but it is about you coming to earth and that in you we have true hope. Father, I don't know where everyone is this morning in terms of where their hope lies, but I pray that we would, as we enter 2024, we would simply put our hope in you. Father, you alone are worthy. You alone are able. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us this morning on this New Year's Eve Sunday. Thank you for those who have tuned in online. Uh, trust that you will have a wonderful celebration welcoming the new year. Please don't be in a rush to go. If you have time, stay in fellowship with those who are around you. We look forward to seeing you in 2024 next uh, Sunday. Have a great week.